I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Hey there. Today's topic is going to be on trunk-based development. Now, while I was trying to figure out what I should talk about in this episode, I uh, thought, hey, trunk-based development seems to be pretty relevant for me right now in my life and uh, is something that a lot of people have questions about, despite it being a very straightforward practice that you can implement. And just because it's straightforward doesn't make it easy. And when we start talking about trunk-based development, my mind immediately goes to source control. So are you using Git or Subversion or uh, ClearCase for crying out loud? Haven't thought about that one in a long time. Uh, And so this rapidly turns from trunk-based development into the tooling, and probably there's a ton of stuff that we should talk about before we even get to trunk-based development. But the beauty of this podcast is that every episode is kind of self-contained. And so you can pick up a topic uh, without having to hit all of the prerequisites before. And so if you are going to listen to this episode, then I assume that you're already a software developer, that you have used source control in some capacity, and maybe you are struggling at work or in your personal projects to utilize source control effectively. If you are not a software developer, then good on you for deciding to continue to listen to this episode. I still do think that you'll benefit from this because when we talk about software development patterns, uh, specifically trunk-based development, what I'm really saying is how do you effectively coordinate multiple software developers contributing to the same code base? Throughout my career and history, there have been a slew of different software development patterns and branching strategies that I've encountered along the way and some have been extremely painful where you basically end up copying your code multiple times for different purposes and then eventually at the very tail end just before you get to production you kind of pull it all back together and that has issues with it trunk-based development i think is a good um what do you call it a good evolution of development patterns and branching strategies and it even though it's super straightforward like i had said uh, sometimes undoing the damage of other processes that we've used in our careers is the hard part you have to unlearn the way that you've always done things to learn something new and so whether you are a software developer or you're one of the people who help coordinate getting the work all put together and tested or whatever your role is uh, i think that there's a lot of stuff here that you could hear and learn from. Now, before jumping right into the trunk-based development strategy, let's define our terms first. So I'm gonna probably use a bunch of terms interchangeably because they make sense in my brain. And uh, usually when you work with other people, you've got a shared uh, common language that you use. But for the sake of the podcast, what I wanna do is define some stuff so that this is a little bit clearer for you all. So first off, when I say get or subversion or clear case. Those are tools used to do software version control. Version control is all about storing your code long-term using those tools. This is also called SICM or source code management. And the whole purpose here is to make sure that you, you can save your code at intervals. And then if you have an issue with your code, you can roll back to a previous time. So I'll use an example here. I've got a file, I don't know, let's just say it's a text file, a notepad file. I'm typing some stuff in there, I hit the save button, and then the next step for me would be to push that into my version control system. 
and then that makes a like a snapshot of that file at that point in time and when i push my code into version control or sorry that file into version control what i do is i add a little comment saying hey here's what i changed here's why i'm storing this file into version control and then i go back i edit my file some more i may save multiple times but those saves are just local to my machine and then some point in the future i'll push it back into version control and i've got two snapshots of that file both are different and when I had pushed those into version control, I made comments that explained what was there and why I was storing it there. So that external system, that version control system helps me know what I changed when, and if I was the person that changed it, because uh, sometimes there are multiple people working on the same file. And so we can share our changes with one another by pushing our code into version control and then pulling down someone else's changes. So it's kind of a, a centralized way of storing that file, changing it, and then knowing who changed what, where, when, and for what purpose. So that's really uh, the problem that version control is trying to solve, one of many problems. And depending on how big your team is and how you all utilize the tool, this process of editing that file could be easier or more difficult. And source code is exactly that. It's a file of text. So version control systems are used on the, uh, the source code files, not a compiled file. It's not a database to store data in. Uh, once you've compiled your code into something that will execute, then you use a totally different system to store those changes and those artifacts. So for today, we're gonna focus on source code management and how you can coordinate a bunch of people editing the same file. So the next thing we need to talk about, now that we know what source control management is, is what these terms trunk and branches mean. So when I talk about a trunk, um, or I may use the term mainline or the master branch, all three of these words mean the exact same thing. And the reason why there are multiple words to describe the same concept is that there are multiple different source control management systems that each have their own terminology and lingo. And so as the industry has evolved over the years, all of these different terms that have been used by people have converged. And so we use them all interchangeably just to talk about the one golden bit of code that we want to get into the hands of the customer. You see, when I write software, there is a golden stable version of the code that people are actively using. And I don't want to muck around with the version of the code people are using as I'm trying to build new features and uh, maybe do some experiments with the software in the background. What I want to do is create a branch off of the main trunk where I can make all of my changes in isolation, test them, and when I think that they are good, they're up to speed and uh, are high quality, then I can merge those back from my branch into the main line of development which should then trigger a build and a release of the software. And then whoever's using my product needs to update their version of the application to get my changes. So it's kind of layers on layers, but effectively all a branch is, is a version of the trunk that you are saying, I want to work on in isolation. And then when you're done, you can put all of your changes back into the trunk and everybody else in the entire world can get those changes from you. Now there's some nuance with this as there usually is in the things that I discuss, but at a fundamental level, that's generally how it works. Now let's talk about anti-patterns and fear of change for a little bit. Once upon a time, we would write software and the industry wasn't as engineered as it is today. It was kind of the wild west. 
uh, Joe Blow had an idea at work and he seemed to be able to write some software. And so someone's like, hey, Joe, can you build me a thing that does X, Y, Z? And so Joe, being a great engineer, would run off and build a thing that does X, Y, Z. And people would say, I love it. Um, I wish it would do K as well, but I don't really like feature X. So can you get rid of feature X and make it do K? So Joe would go and iterate on the software and release it again and someone would be using it. And then they would say, oh man, I resized the window and the button disappeared. Hey Joe. And Joe would just run out in production immediately, fix the application and the customer would be off and running again. This pattern actually does work quite well at small scale, which is what most of the software development began as. And this really wasn't all that long ago. I would say maybe 1990, people were doing this pretty prolifically in the industry. But as software became more and more widespread and used, the amount of rigor that was necessary to build high quality software increased as well. Because you can maybe do what Joe was doing there for you know 10 customers, 20 customers or so, but at a certain point, the number of people that you support increases more than the bandwidth that Joe has to be able to fix uh, issues. So what you find with that is people would get really scared. It's like, I've got a hundred paying customers and every time Joe makes a change, it busts one of the, the customers. And so people think our product is complete and total garbage because it's constantly changing from underneath of them. And so the industry began to introduce safeguards and quality checks and to throttle changes to production until all of the appropriate business owners would uh, bless the release and say, this is good to go into the hands of our customers. And this is the birth of the big software development lifecycle or the SDLC and uh, change approval boards. Now, I don't want to be misleading to anybody. I am kind of making up these dates off the top of my head. 1990 was the stories I had heard when I entered the industry of what it used to be like in the good old days when we'd build software. And by the time I had entered the industry, a lot of the heavy uh, fear of change release processes were in place. And so we're going to talk about what modern software delivery looks like in a second, but I think it's really important to highlight what fear of change looks like because a lot of the software delivery practices that we're going to talk about with trunk-based development are the antithesis of fear of change. They're actually the acceptance and embrace of change and managing risk appropriately. So if you look at 1990 as the Wild West, where we didn't even understand risk, then there was a huge backlash and fear of change because we don't want to change a product that our customers are using and break them or their workflows because then it impacts their business. So you get this uh, change approval board where no changes get released to the customer until the certain risk appropriate uh, assessors can weigh in and say yes or no, do we want to release this software? And then you finally end up into a modern software delivery team where changes by their nature of being very small and highly tested are high quality. So you can give your developers a little bit more trust and allow them to make small changes frequently into production without a one month long delay between being uh, software being built and then being released. So jumping the gun a little bit, but that's the end state. So if we go back to the 1990s and the fear of change, we uh, need to talk about change approval boards a little bit. So me as a software developer, I'm writing this program for somebody else. The other person is the one who needs to judge whether or not they want to get this product into the hands of the customer. So I'll make my changes and every two weeks or so, um, someone's going to meet and I'm going to say, hey, here are all the changes you asked for. Do you like them? 
and they're gonna test them. And then at the change approval board, they will say, yes, I wanna get these in the hands of the customer or no. And because this meeting happens every other week or monthly, then you've gotta wait until the, the next time they meet in order to make that judgment on whether you, or not you wanna release your software. I hope it's obvious that this adds delay to software delivery. And so because we are afraid of change or afraid of the quality of the software that we're building, then sometimes we're gonna to have to just accept the fact that it gets delayed longer than our customers probably want or our business people. And as you all know, the slower you are to deliver software, the less successful your business can be because a lot of the industry changes very rapidly. And so what you actually wanna do, this is what agility is all about, is making very tiny changes to your software getting those released very quickly so that you can get feedback on what you built, change it, and then release it again. And doing it in that fashion will help you to get the best product into the hands of your customer the quickest because they're helping collaborate with you to build it effectively. You're trying to solve their problems and you can't sit down with them and gather all their requirements because a lot of times people don't know what they need or what they want until they start using your product and then the whole thing is gonna change. So we can probably talk at length about agility and, and why all of that stuff's important, but for today, let's talk about trunk-based development because how you cut your branches off the trunk is actually a huge accelerant or detractor from how quickly you can deliver your software and the quality with which you can deliver it. Okay, so shifting gears here. We talked about Git and uh, version control systems. We talked about what software uh, version control is or source code management. We talked about the trunk and the branches. So I hope that these explanations have made sense up to this point and you've even gotten a little bit of the risk averse history of software development thrown in the mix here. So let's finally get to the part where we talk about what modern software development looks like. First off, most teams are organized into agile software delivery teams. Agility is about building a very small product that you can rapidly change to get into the hands of your customer in order to get feedback and iterate on it and release it again. So these changes generally happen in two week sprints, two week timeframes, where you will have very small stories, you'll make your changes to your software, and then at the end of the two weeks, your product is, well, your sprint's done, and you've got some working code that your customers can use. That's the concept. Now, it's easier said than done. Even if you're writing software in two-week intervals, a lot of times you still have monthly software releases. It's especially true if you're at a massive company at, uh, because the large scale is what makes people fearful of change. You may be able to trust some teams in the organization, but you usually can't trust everybody to release every two weeks or more quickly than that. And honestly, my opinion is two weeks is too long anyways. So that's where Agility was able to get with the big, heavy uh, fear of change release process thrown in the mix. The next iteration of this is DevOps. So if Agility is about building the right product for your customer, DevOps is about building the product right. And you need both of these things hand in hand to truly enable trunk-based development and the fastest software delivery model. It would be very easy to get sidetracked at this point in time and go down a DevOps rabbit trail and kind of talk about DevOps practices for a good long time. But I wanna pause that whole conversation and leave it with the fact that you're gonna want a CI/CD pipeline in place 
and have good solid DevOps practices, which means you're building and supporting your software at the same time in order to do trunk-based development. This, the automation that comes with the CICD pipeline usually includes some level of quality testing. And you as a DevOps team are probably writing unit tests along with your software. And those two things are really the key to doing trunk-based development. Because you can't be um, accepting of risk if you can't measure risk. And the automation is what allows you to measure risk through running tests and saying, is my software a high quality product? Because you don't actually want to release your software quickly until you are confident that it is high quality. And in order to know if it's high quality, you have to measure that. A lot of software delivery people, um, they want to say, I feel good about my software. We went through manual tests and nothing showed up. But humans are error prone. So you don't want to trust people or their feelings about how good the quality is of your release. You want objective measures of how good the quality is. And the only way to do that is through a CI/CD pipeline. So you got to assume DevOps and CI/CD in order to get to trunk-based development. Okay, we've got our foundation and the frame of our house in place for this conversation. <laughs> it's only taken us 17 minutes, but here we go. So what is trunk-based development? Despite its name, it does not mean that you are developing directly in the trunk of your software. Trunk-based development generally means that you have very, very short-lived branches that are very specific in their nature. Um, and you could have a branch for the day. You could have a branch for a small feature. Every feature that you deliver within a sprint may have its own branch. Um, but the point of trunk-based development is most of the activity is happening on the trunk. There's an anti-pattern here of release branches where you've got your golden code for, for a trunk and then you cut off a branch and that branch is gonna live for the duration of your software release. And the reason why you've got um, <laughs> a software release branch is because you're delivering probably monthly or quarterly into production. And the, the problem with that is you've got so many changes that need to get merged into the trunk when you're done that the risk of your release goes up significantly because other teams are also doing monthly or quarterly releases. And so you're going to cut your branch and make your changes for two months. And then another team is going to cut a branch and make their changes for two months. And another team is going to cut a branch and make their changes. And someday in the future, you all are going to have to merge your code together. And it may be in the same release or it may be different release, but you're a shared code base with multiple products. And that causes a tremendous amount of work on testing, either manually to test end-to-end -end flows or um, a lot of automated tests. And then inevitably when you merge your code, something breaks somewhere. So it's a really bad practice. Trunk-based development, because you're making small changes and you're releasing them rapidly, the risk of those changes is very low. So you don't have to kind of hold it all off in isolation and do your end-to-end -end testing before you merge it. You want to get it released very quickly. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just throwing it into production because sometimes there are bigger features that we need to work on that do take a couple of months to develop. But the point here is your specific change is small enough that uh, you can release it. Now, the thing that comes with this is the topic of release flags or feature flags where you can release your code into production, but it's still dormant because there's a configuration flag that turns it off. So we'll talk about that in a second here, uh, but that's really trunk-based development. It's not um, simply making changes directly in production or in the trunk. 
but it's just this whole concept of very short-lived branches. Now, when I talk about short-lived branches, that's my personal preference. There haven't been many applications or teams that I've worked on where you've had to have a, a long-running release branch with, uh, say, version one of your product, and then a second branch that works in parallel with version two of your product. Um, you'll see that sometimes when you talk about uh, like an operating system and their LTS versions or long-term support versions. You may have extremely long-running branches of that nature that need to get merged back into a mainline eventually. That's a pattern I believe Google refers to when they talk about trunk-based development. But that doesn't have to be the pattern that you follow. There are multiple different ways to go about following trunk-based development. So you're welcome to go out and do some research, but the whole idea here is that the changes you were, do you were making on your software are getting merged back into a mainline at least once a day. And there was research that was done on this the analysis of DevOps research and assessment, also known as DORA. And they found that there are three different things that teams can do in order to achieve higher levels of software delivery. One is to have three or fewer active branches in the application's code repository, to merge branches to the trunk at least once a day, and to not have code freezes or integration phases. And in massive companies, those may be some patterns that you're dealing with right now. But in order to get to trunk-based development and to do it well, those are some three things that they have noticed actually achieve better outcomes for software delivery and operations. So it's worth noting, now a lot of their findings are detailed in the book Accelerate. And I'll add a link to that to the description of this, as well as links to some other uh, trunk-based delivery models that you can look and see if some of them relate to your personal either application or environment at your own work. So after you do your own research, if you decide that you want to adopt a trunk-based development model, then there are some things that you should watch out for. If you are in a company that you have a, a very heavy code review process in order to discourage change to the production environment, then you may want to reduce the uh, how heavy that code review is. Because if code reviews are difficult and they take hours or days to complete, then developers could avoid checking in their work frequently because of the overhead of a code review. So you want to pare down, strip down the code review process so it's quick and easy and also performed synchronously with the merge. It's a, a bad practice to submit your pull request and have someone do their uh, code review asynchronously while you go off and do other work because when you do it that way, you are delaying the merge of the code. And we all know that the delay of the merge of code can create merge conflicts down the line. So if you're waiting on someone else to do a code review and you're still actively making changes, their feedback could change or impact the work you're doing. And so by the time your code gets merged, you've got changes to it and you got a merge conflict, it gets really messy. So you want code reviews to be very quickly for pull requests to get merged and reviewed synchronously with your work. And then you also want to make sure you are running all of your automated tests before you're committing your code. And you make sure that the trunk never breaks. It's golden code that you want to get into the hands of your customer, which means you need to test everything that you're merging in there. And if anything breaks, fix it immediately in the trunk. You do not want anybody to be cutting branches off of non-working code from the trunk. That is a recipe for disaster. So you need to be maybe a bit more rigorous than you have been in the past. But the CICD pipeline automation can really help with a lot of these processes. They're lightweight, they're about being quick, 
and using automation to ensure that you've got high quality code that you're delivering. I hope some of the stuff that we talked about today is of value to you. Before we end the episode, um, there are five things from Google that I wanted to share with you, which are ways that they suggest will improve trunk-based development. So the first one is to develop in small batches. And if you are an agile software delivery team, you should already be doing that one. It's attainable. The second is to perform that synchronous code review we talked about. The third one is to implement comprehensive automated testing. And when I say this, I hope that you are recalling to your memory the test pyramid. You want to have most of your automated tests at the unit level, followed by the service or integration, and then the UI levels. If you're, the shape of your test pyramid is like that, then you should be good and make sure that they are run every single time you commit. Fourth, have a fast build. You really want your builds to be executing in a few minutes, not taking 30 minutes or longer. And if you do have long running builds, then it probably indicates an opportunity for improvement in the architecture of your system. And lastly, create a core group of advocates and mentors. So trunk-based development is a radical change for a lot of people and an organization. And so the way that you make organizational change is one, by having top-down support from your leaders in the organization to try something different and have them promote this, but also to have kind of that grassroots approach of people who have done this before, they know what to do, and they can be advocates and mentors for other in the organization, other developers, to learn how to do trunk-based development. You won't have any success being the one person out of 2000 who's trying to push a trunk-based development model. You will need leaders in the organization to support this and then developers to know how to do this in order to make real change in the organization. And on that note, I think I'll call it a wrap. So don't forget to check the podcast description for links to materials about DevOps and trunk-based development. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with others or rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to me on. You can also tweet me at Tweets of Grant or shoot me an email at hello at Grant Dryden if you are going through a trunk-based development journey or a DevOps journey and want my opinion. I'm here to help. That's why I do these episodes and would love to interact with you. Thank you for listening. I will see you again next time. I'm not a man.